The following is a Bunkazilla original production. We are monsters of culture. The forbidden door was firmly kicked down, and boy, was it worth it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bunker Mania, Bunkerzilla UK's official pro wrestling podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me live tonight on this Wednesday, the 29th of June evening, to discuss what was a fantastic forbidden door pay-per-view, my cohort in crime, my tag team partner. Think of all other great terms you could call it. Above all else, he's a great gentleman. It is the Decadane, Mr. Ian Bolton. Good sir, how are you doing tonight? I am doing lovely. How are we doing? How are we doing? Have we shut all the doors now? Can we shut all of those forbidden doors right now? I think <laughs> too isn't... many forbidden doors have been opened, and we've all forbidden doored out. The padlock, That's what I'm thinking. the padlock has been applied maybe for a year. We'll see. <laughs> maybe for a year, and then someone will come along with a sledgehammer, or I don't know, maybe one of those like door opening, like SWAT battering rams and just go for door two, electric boogaloo in Japan or something like that. I mean, look, first of all, let's hope there's a forbidden door too, because we really need one. Yes. Really but you know what, but before we get too deep into that, because I know we're really excited to talk about it, quick little bit of housekeeping before we go any further. First of all, if you are joining us live tonight on YouTube, thank you very much for tuning in, as it were. You can post your thoughts live in the comments as we go. And of course, as well, if you're not already, make sure you are subscribed to the Bunkerzilla UK channel so you can get updates as to when we are going to be having another show each and every other week as things stand. The reason I say other week is because we also do audio podcasts and this will also be available in audio form on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, Decadane San has likely, more than likely I should say, made it available on that platform. So a big shout out to our audio listeners. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice so you can make sure to receive every single episode of Bunker Mania as it becomes available. And periodically, good sir, as it so happens, occasionally there's the odd bonus episode as well that is audio exclusive. So it is yes. worth it to make sure people have hit that subscribe button. Absolutely. Definitely, and definitely hit it. Definitely. And should also note as well that if you are watching the YouTube archive version of this, you can find chapter markers for the discussion points as needed on this episode too. Good sir, before we delve into our primary and main focal point for tonight, that being the Forbidden Door pay-per-view, any other additional housekeeping notes we should make our good folks aware of? Uh, not at the moment. I think for this episode, we are predominantly talking about AEW uh, and, and New Japan Pro Wrestling with Forbidden Door. Um, we, depending on how we are for time and availability, we may do a little bit of talk about Money in the Bank and just have a quick rundown of the card. If not, don't worry, we'll be doing an episode all about Money in the Bank very, very soon, because it's actually this Saturday. So it's kind of like, it's like one event after the other here in the world of wrestling. But uh, but yes, tonight it is it is an AEW affair. Yeah, little peek behind the curtain. I'm to blame for that because I may have to go and pick up someone from a train station. So that involves me having to dart across there for a short journey. So we will see if I get a message during the show, we will know how long we're going to be on for. And that will determine how much extra we may talk about. But the primary subject for today, good sir, is the combined AEW Cross New Japan Pro Wrestling pay-per-view Forbidden Door. This was quite a show to say the least, but I think mm -hmm. 
in the interest of kind of setting the scene, as it were, because we've I've dabbled into a little bit of Japanese pro wrestling talk before. I know you've mentioned a few bits here and there occasionally, but I think it's it'd be a good place to sort of set the scene as to our respective experiences, familiarity, whatever the best word is, when it comes to New Japan pro wrestling, let alone Japanese wrestling in general. So from your perspective, how would you describe your familiarity with New Japan and or Japanese wrestling in general going into this show? Uh, fairly minimal, to be honest. Uh, I think, I think I, I took a little bit of an interest in New Japan Pro Wrestling back in, I think it was 20, when was the first double one, I think? Was it 2019? Yeah, sounds about right. Three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 2019. Um, so basically I think I got a little bit more interested into watching New Japan Pro Wrestling simply because Moxley had just come out of WWE. He appeared on AEW and was signed up for the G1 Climax. So I was kind of watching the odd kind of matches here or there, not necessarily watching uh, religiously like every day of the tournament and stuff like that. I think I was just, when it was a Moxley match, I was just kind of interested. And I and I think I signed up to New Japan Pro, uh, yeah, New Japan Pro Wrestling World, uh, the app. And I think I, I watched the occasional match here or there. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's kind of it. But I, I was, I, I think thanks to watching a lot of YouTube wrestlers uh, channels again, like WrestleTalk, Hog and stuff like that, I, I kind of got uh, an, an idea of who the big players were, so your Carders, your Tanahashis, uh, even back in the day, Omegas and stuff like that. So it's mm -hmm. like, in terms of I knew the names, but not necessarily familiar with the matches or the, or the match styles and so forth. So... So yeah, I think that's where I think that's where my New Japan pro wrestling kind of experience kind of lays at the moment. Mm. I've been a fan. I'll keep this as truncated as I can, but I've been a Japanese wrestling fan for a long time, like dating back to my first experience, probably being during the Monday Night War while watching WCW Nitro, and occasionally okay. you would just have Japanese wrestlers pop up, like Yuji Nagata, Ultimo Dragon, and you just sort of get introduced to all the different styles. But it wasn't really probably until, I want to say maybe around mid-2000s, maybe mid to late 2000s, when I was watching TNA a heck of a lot. And some of the wrestlers like the Motor City Machine Guns and Team 3D and Christopher Daniels were going to Japan, and like Kurt Angle as well, because there was a big sort of global impact show that featured Kurt Angle challenging for the IWGP title. So mm -hmm. there was a bit of a TNA crossover with New Japan, and that's when I really, tr I think it was the year before that, I really tried to get into Japanese wrestling more. And this was in the days before there were dedicated streaming services. So you had to, you had to really try if you wanted to find Japanese wrestling. <laughs> I shan't elaborate more than that. You can join the dots together and figure out what I mean. But it was because of wrestlers like the Machine Guns, like Christopher Daniels. It was finding people that I was familiar with, watching them in a different country, and just kind of getting used to it. Like Dragon Gate as well, when they did stuff with Ring of Honor. Sort of little bits and bobs as well is sort of how I got into it. New Japan, though, specifically, been a fan for a long time. Haven't necessarily been able to keep up with it as much as I would like probably the past three, four years, just because there's only so much wrestling you can watch, quite frankly. But mm. I still keep up to, up to date with things more than, than, than anything else. So I was I was very excited about the show. And obviously, given AEW's sort of little integration before the Forbidden Stores, Forbidden Door stuff, excuse me, really kicked into high gear the past month, it was great to see the odd little bit here and there. So that's kind of where I stand. Very much. A yeah. big fan of Japanese wrestling. Because I think in terms of 
the whole Forbidden Door thing, I don't think it, it didn't necessarily start off with like AEW and New Japan talent kind of coming together. I think it all just kind of started during the the Omega belt collector reign, where basically Omega had won the belt off Moxley, and then they just went, "Oh, we're going to impact." And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> and that sort of yeah. stuff. And then, and then, and that's how the and I think that's where the phrase just started popping up and so forth. And it's like. I think it was just, I think at that time as well, uh, I think we were at a, a period, obviously, of the pandemic lockdown. So mm-hmm. maybe a crossover line that wasn't, was was kind of probably on the cards at some point, but maybe for, for some time it just wasn't a practicality in the terms of lockdown, in terms of how the countries were dealing with the pandemic. Yeah, another interesting detail, which actually Moxley himself brought up in a promo, mm. is that when AEW started, it kind of had like it had rubbed at that point the, the current New Japan president, who I think's name was Harold Meiji, if memory serves, mm. hit like the Bucks Omega Hangman Cody starting AEW. It kind of led to a bit of a bad separation between the groups, and so oh, okay. and then New Japan not wanting to work with AEW, despite basically it's like it's an, it's it, it's right there, you know, it's on a on a plate for you. There's lots of stuff to do. That's why it didn't happen originally. But then the, the the president changed, as it were. And but Moxley during that time was the one guy who was still wrestling, who or rather who wrestled for New Japan, debuted at that point, but then went to AEW. He was the one guy who was crossing over that forbidden door. Jericho mm. excluding, because I know he did a few things here and there as well. But he was like the one consistent through line. And mm. by all accounts, from what's been said, like people were saying why are you doing this? You shouldn't do it. But it's like, no, I want to do it. And he was the one guy, and I think he kind of emphasized it in one of his promos leading up to the show. He's the one that still kept kicking that forbidden door in and mm. keeping keeping this potential relationship alive. And ultimately, it opened up leading to this event. So from there, we sort of set the scene, as it were. Now, I know you didn't get a chance to watch the buy-in, and to give it a really quick summary... If you're someone who hasn't seen the show and you want to watch the buy-in, the way I would describe it is a really fun, watchable hour with some good matches, kind of helps set the mood for the evening. Some all right wrestling in there. It's not spectacular, but it's good fun, quite frankly. And there were some New Mm -hmm. Japan folks that was nice to see. Not Yoshihashi. I'm not a fan of him, but he is better, just saying. And it was just fun to see some other people who we've not seen on AEW TV for a while, like The Factory. Like QT Marshall and Aaron Solo and Nick Camarato, not seen them in freaking yonks. And they're on the show. So it's kind of nice to also see some other talent you've not seen for a little while. Yeah. But then we get to the event itself. And when it comes to the possible matches, you could open up with good, sir. It's like, what would be a good match to start with? And then you hear the familiar music of Judas from Fozzy, which means we're starting with the six-man tag match of Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, now, of course, aligned with the Jericho Appreciation Society since we last did a podcast. That's a thing that's happened. We may come back Mm -hmm. to that in the future, for time's sake. And Minoru Suzuki of the Suzuki Goon faction in New Japan, taking on Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota Umino from New Japan pro wrestling this was great it was a fun way to open the show absolutely uh i mean obviously we we return we're returning to obviously to the jericho kingston view which obviously going to have a very bloody uh 
I would say conclusion maybe tonight at Blood and Guts at time of recording. We'll see. I mean, if William Regal's promo about uh, putting the kids to bed early is anything to go by, <laughs> I think there may be a lot of blood. <laughs> you could say but a no. bloody. You could say a bloody chapter in the story. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. But no, um, it's it was fun. It was it was kind of like you hit all the sort of right notes, especially when it comes to like Suzuki. And having Suzuki and Kingston have this, <laughs> have this, have the good old fashioned classic. Okay, you slapped me on the chest. Okay, well that didn't really hurt, says Suzuki. I'm going to hit you now, Kingston. Kingston kind of nearly buckles him and going, it really hurts, but hit me again, and all that sort of stuff. It's like this. It's like Suzuki was just like a hired enforcer. He didn't really care much for Jericho's kind of safety. He was there just to kind of, I'm here to help you win a match, and that's what you've got me for. That's all I'm doing. I'm not doing anything else. Whether or not I, whether or not things happen, is totally irrelevant. What I really liked about that as well is it, when you think about it. So, from in terms of like where both of those two wrestlers stand, like Jericho and Minoru Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki just wants to fight people. He's really not about being an entertainer. So the idea those two are teaming in and of itself from those contexts is ridiculous. But I think they explained it on Dynamite when Jericho kind of came out and attacked people. He, when a, a couple of the members of um, words of Suzuki Goon came out to help the Jericho Appreciation Society, it was a Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru who were in one of the, the buy-in matches as well. He literally said, "I've done a deal with Suzuki, so we're working with Suzuki Goon like for the next little while." It's like makes sense. That's all I need to know. Fair like enough. money's involved. Suzuki, I'm sure, will do anything for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this was just such good fun. Just a nice bit of brutality. Given all the card changes, you can imagine this is where Moxley would have been originally, because it would make a lot more sense for Moxley probably, to have been in the match. I kind of, you could probably have Moxley there. I mean, again, because of the moment, the occasion stuff like that. Who knows? There may have been another one-on-one match that Moxley might have had if it was if it was going to be Punk versus Tanahashi. Mm. Um, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that that was where. Uh, Mox was originally intending to go because also well yeah because Danielson was supposed to have Zack Sabre Jr. and that didn't happen uh, so yeah you're probably you're probably right on that actually but uh, but another interesting dynamic in this match which is why I mention it is Shota Umino who won yes. looked like a million bucks in this match he did such a fantastic job and he is um I don't know if you're familiar with the term Ian but he's been what's termed has been on, on excursion for the past year. And the okay. idea is, it's like you have the New Japan, you have like a, what sounds like a young lion, if you will, in the New Japan dojo, or like a young mm-hmm. boy, as it's sometimes phrased as well. They get to a point in their training where they're sent out on excursion. They may graduate, but then they're sent out on excursion for a while internationally. So some people have come to the UK, for example, and maybe have wrestled for Rev Pro and numerous other promotions for a while. Some of mm-hmm. them go to the US. Okada, which we'll get onto later, is an example of someone who went on excursion to the US for a while. And so Umino has been doing that, but prior to all of this happening and pre-pandemic when Moxley was like involved in the G1 and stuff, Umino was basically taken under Moxley's wing Mm -hmm. because Moxley really liked sort of the fire that he had in him. Like when he was fighting, I think they had a one-on-one match actually come to think of it. And that's where they mentioned it on commentary. He was given the term Shooter Umino. I think I remember this. There you go. uh, Yeah, because I think think he's like... I think was, I don't know if it was part of the G1 Classic or something like that, or just a simple one-on-one match. And mm. like Mox completely brutalizes him in yep. a way. But then it's just like, I like you, kid. You hang around. And he's like taking him to like the the press conferences and stuff like that as well. So it's like, okay, this is 
this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, so that's where that comes in. But another element to the story, which happened at Wrestle Kingdom a few years ago when Jericho was last there and faced Tanahashi, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So you might need a bit, this may help add some context now for you. They showed a clip while one of the guys was coming out of Umino being attacked by Jericho in the Tokyo Dome. And they mm-hmm. referenced someone called Red Shoes. To give you some clarity as to what the hell that means, there is a famous referee in New Japan who famously wears red shoes. And his name, well, his name is Umino, his surname, but he's called Red Shoes Uno. And he's a very famous referee in New Japan. And, and Shuta Umino, uh, Shota Umino, sorry, is his son. And so there was a whole mm-hmm. thing of like um, the ref red shoes was being attacked by Jericho and then Shota tried to get in the way and was attacked by Jericho. So they've carried on this story like post pandemic, well, post height of pandemic, let's get it correct. And they're mm. carrying on that through line, which of course leads later in the show to him having a fireball thrown in his face. Yes. So that is going to be a continuing thing. And I'm all for that. But of course the, the crux of this though, which we haven't actually mentioned yet is that the Jericho Appreciation Society won the match, which means they have the man advantage in blood and guts, meaning their guys go in earlier than their opponents. Mm-hmm. But this was a really, really fun opener to the, to the show. I've, I've actually written down in my notes here, a perfect match to start the show. Yeah, it was it was good. It was fun. It was fast. It was had like those nice little sort of like traditional moments you would expect to see from pe- from people like Suzuki. And yeah, Umano had a really nice show as well. I think the fact I think the crowd were really into Umano towards the end of the match as well. So that's a very good sign for his career. I will say as well, there's a very uh, fun anecdote that in Minoru Suzuki's theme, there's a particular part of it where the crowd normally shout, Kaze ni nare. You couldn't. You can tell Suzuki could not hide the smile on his face when he had sixteen thousand people shouting that because it's probably not mm. happened in like two, three years at this point because of the, because of all the, the regulations in Japan and such. Mm-hmm. But next up, we had our first title match of the evening. This was the, the the double tag team title match for the Ring of Honor and IWGP Tag Team Championship Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Excuse me. It was FTR but Ring of Honor tag champs against Rapongi Vice against the United Empire duo of Jeff Cobb and the great Okan, who going into the match are the IWGP tag team champions. Cliff notes, so we don't f- actually forget who actually won the match. FTR won, and it was freaking yes. great that FTR won. This crowd was so into FTR, and it was Absolutely. wonderful to see. Yeah, it's just, it's like they're, it's like they're the hottest baby face tag team going and you all signs do point to an ftrv young bucks feud coming up for the belt it's like they're living the proper belt collector gimmick in a Mm. way because they've they've got they've got those tag team belts they've got they've got ring of honor they've got the uh, new japan ones now they've got triple a as well and it's kind of like well if they really were going on a belt collecting rampage why not go and grab the AEW ones? And then why not go and get the Impact ones as well for a little bit of fun? If the door is still open for some Impact collaboration there. The fact mm. of the matter is, it's, it's just it's just the crowd are really into them. They are on top of their game. They are they are by far the best out there right now. I think the, I think the weird I think the thing the the first major kind of mini talking point is Dax's injury that happened like a couple mm. of minutes into the match. Now, in terms of in terms of that, obviously, you get the sense that it looks like he did something to his shoulder when he did his like his first uh, first move in the match, and then it's just kind of like, 
is he injured? Is like, is he not injured? And he's like going off. I mean, the fact is there's no report post-match that of any injury detail tells me this could be your work to build story. I don't know. It's just like there was one other instance in the in the pay-per-view, which we'll get to a bit later on, where basically mm-hmm. there have been reports coming out after that that yep. situation. But yeah, it's just oddly quiet on the Dax front. So I think it was a work, let's call it like it is. But I think what this was, it was the show taking advantage of the fact that there had been the injury curse going into mm. it. <laughs> Literally. So yeah. my take is at the time, you could the, the entire you could tell everybody was like, no, please, no. Because not like for, this. Because for a moment, like when Dax was like led out by medical, it's like there was a little bit of a energy sap from the crowd he couldn't yep. really kind of the the crowd were cleaning not getting into it as much now because they they thought they'd just seen an injury yep. um and, and then again you, you see bits between obviously cash and, and the other two teams it just feels like yeah to a point that they are they are they kind of improvising now it just seems mm. it seems it seems off it, it definitely seemed awfully not on script yeah i think dax on twitter whether it's you know again quote unquote kayfabe or whether it's legit or not I think he said separated shoulder but I'm still part of seven star FTR so Mm. I guess we'll find out in the coming days imminently if that is actually real or not but this match was so good and I think that's what the main thing even with this whether it was actually legit or not it worked perfectly into the match absolutely Um, just just a quick query just a quick sort of final note on the whole sort of Dax injuries kind of thing the fact of the matter is, because they haven't got the AEW Championships, maybe they have that respite of not having to defend them straight away or be thrown into mm-hmm. a match straight away. So, so there is some time for Dax to heal up, if as long as the injury isn't too serious and all that. And all that exactly. And um, I also now want to say yeah. as well, FTR are the new belt collectors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I hope, they, I, hope, I hope they coin that phrase. Uh, now, there are two other things I would like to bring up. In fact, no, three. I'll keep them quick. First of okay. all, Kevin Kelly being on the commentary team works so damn well. Caprice Coleman also being in this match was really good because it added the yeah. ROH dynamic. And I don't know if you're aware, but Coleman and Kevin Kelly used to be the ROH announced team. Okay. So from their perspective, if they sounded like they were really happy to be working with each other, it's because they were, because they've not done it in years. And then there was a wonderful moment in the match when they both, I think Caprice went, oh, we're going to see him in ROH again soon. And Kevin Kelly went, this was my first FTR match. I get to call them in New Japan now. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I am so up for seeing FTR in New mm. Japan. Like it's gonna be so good. I mean, in terms of in terms of the match, it's like it's like that was an emphatic big rig at the end. Oh, Absolutely. so good. It's like it's like it's like I saw it coming and the moment it happened, I you just couldn't help but just shout big rig. Yeah. Big rig is like, yes, pin him, get the belts. <laughs> You beautiful bastards. <laughs> but now, before that happened... Oh, oh, I know where we're going on this. <laughs> yeah, so there was a quote-unquote referee screw-up. Now, if mm. you're watching on TV, it was actually kind of... It was clear enough to see it wasn't, but for everyone mm. in the arena, you can understand why they thought it something had gone wrong, because there was technically a three count but the ref started 
paused, and then um, when he did two and three, clearly shouted, one, two. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously the crowd can only hear so much. So they thought it was a three count. But I think the fact that the match carried on, everyone just thought, you know what? We're into this. Let's just let that go. And yeah. it was over about a moment or two later. So it was it was fine. But that's the one little blemish in the I match, think, though. I think sometimes, and this is probably, I think, one or two moments with the refereeing. And it's just it's just probably the style of how they hit the mat and immediately go for it in terms of counting the pin. Sometimes when they hit the mat initially, it feels like they've already done the one. So it's like they'll yeah. hit the mat. You hear that sort of, and then yeah. you think, okay, that's one, two. And then that's when you go, hang on, that what? No, and you just kind of feel a bit, com- yeah. It's not not a massive thing, but it's like, yeah, it kind of is like, I, I, it might be my hearing. Maybe I suppose it's like no, I'm it's, hearing, it's, it's, I'm hearing right, pinfall right. counts everywhere. I'm hearing pinfall counts everywhere mm. as I'm sleeping. One, two, three. As I'm driving to work, just from other drivers. One, two, <laughs> three. But the way I the way I look at it is now far be it for me to say how someone should referee a match. I've never done it in yeah. my life, mm. but it makes me think though that this was an instance where a visual cue of some kind to the audience would have, and it's in the heat of the moment, so what are you going to do? Yeah. But if it had been like a one and he stopped, and even if he just waved his hands to go, no, then did a one again, it would have been a visual cue of, oh, that didn't count. Yeah. Okay. It's a little, yeah. But again, hindsight is twenty twenty. Paul Turner, the referee, has done so many matches, you know. It, it was what it was. Not, not everyone can be perfect all the time. Everyone has, everyone has those random unfortunate moments by the count exactly. with a miscount stuff like that so it's not mm. it's it's like once every once in a full moon fine fine yeah i do wonder how triple a triple a feel excuse me about their tag team titles now being <laughs> associated with the new japan tag titles despite the fact that two companies don't want to work with each other yeah i thought for a moment because i watched the i watched the road to to dynamite tonight today I thought for a moment during the post-match interview that FTR had stuck an FTR sticker over the AAA logo. Mate, they've been there for months. Yeah, and it's like, it's like you didn't just put a sticker. No, no, fine, fine. I know, but literally, I those thought- stickers have been there for months. I'm not even joking. When they first won the belts, they did it. So from there, we move on to our next championship match of the evening, which was for the All-Atlantic Championship or whatever the heck you want to call it, because everyone just keeps mocking the name, but I'm still going to go with it. Here is a belt. It is a belt that will represent other things. We're not entirely certain what it is, but we put some flags on it. Will that help? What about a trio's tag? You've got this bad belt now. <laughs> Deal with it. So we'll come back to that in a second, because I think <laughs> this belt is going to be great. It was Miro versus Pack versus Malachi Black versus not Tomohiro Ishii, because unfortunately mm. he was diagnosed with a knee injury literally like a day or two before. I mm. think it was I think it was like the Friday afternoon of Rampage or something. And you could just yeah. tell there was that thing of, oh, come on, can we please just have someone make it to the show? And so Clark Connors, who lost the match to Ishii, was put in the match. In hindsight, didn't matter because Clark Connors was freaking great in this match and got over huge with the crowd. The match was ultimately won by Pack, and I am so happy about this. I'm so mm. so happy. Yeah, I think the match, the, the whole match itself, was just again. It's like a fast, furious, and had and it had its own little mini storytelling to it because Miro come, comes in, he gets the, a huge crowd pop, and Miro just kind of stands in the ring for most of the the first half of the match, just as basically he's the literal built 
tank in the middle. Pretty much like the one he drove into WrestleMania that many, many, many years ago. Basically, he's just stood there. People are trying to knock him off his feet. Clark Collins is trying so desperately hard to knock him off his feet. And Miro just goes, nah, and just keeps hitting him down. <laughs> down. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like there, there are so many nice, little nice moments. And I think that's what made the ultimate sort of uh, Clark Connors sort of fire up moment really kind of get the crowd because it's like you you see that you see the table being sat up outside the ring and you kind of think right someone Miro's definitely going through it but is it going to be Pac or is it going to be Black who put puts him through and then out of bloody nowhere comes Clark Connors just spearing <laughs> him in. I mean, I'll be honest, I was more concerned about the small child behind the table that that someone eventually moved. It's like, (laughs) there's a small child there. We do know there's a small child behind this table. I mean, even at the, just quickly fast forward into the main event, when when Moxie came out, he he knows the small child went, hey, small child. Well, I think it's because he pulled the gate back and the child went flying. (laughs) So he then went to check on him. (laughs) I will say, I, I, I do not have a child, so I cannot question parenting. I think the dad needs to get his priorities in order a little bit. Assuming that was his dad that was next to him. Because for all we know, the kid was just there on his own. You know, for all we know. Dad was just going, yeah, son, get behind. Just just sit there in front of the table. You're going to get a proper education of what it is to be a wrestling fan. Father, why is that person running at a very high speed towards the barrier? I think you'll find they're about to do it. Oh, no, here they come. Oh, but, but, this, <laughs> but this match was, was really good. Now, I will say, Pack winning was the right choice. And my theory yeah. on this was backed up on the Road to Dynamite video that was on AEW's YouTube now, as it were, if you've not seen it yet. Because he's mm. literally said he wants to face the best wrestlers in the world. And effectively, the way I put it in my notes is, this is probably going to be the equivalent of what the Intercontinental title old school used to be in WWE, like the proper workers belt. And Pac is a really damn good wrestler who can basically wrestle anyone. Mm. So if this is going to be the belt now, which means we're going to basically get regularly really freaking good one-on-one wrestling matches for a title, I am mm. so up for this. And also, he highlighted as well international competition. So mm. it's a way of maintaining a New Japan person coming in. Heck, it could be Kanosuke Takeshita, that the DDT wrestler is currently there. That would be a freaking fun match to see. There's so much potential in this. I am so up for this title. I think there was a bit in the video towards the end where he just says, if you want some, and you think, oh no, he's about to say the John Cena, if you want some, come get some. And if you want some, well, you know where to find me. <laughs> he just sorts us off. It's like, I no, like don't. I like the fact he literally introduces himself, though, as the bastard pack. I'm a bastard. I'm now just imagining that, like, his name is Bastard. <laughs> his name is literally just Bastard Pack. I, I, I'm trying to resist the urge to go into Anton deck mode. <laughs> Let, well, you know what? I, will, I, 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 was, <laughs> I was about to say I thought that attempt, but I failed on that. But either way, though, this was a really fun match. Really, really mm. worth watching. I will say, it does bring into question, can you get DQ'd in a four-way match? No. Because there was mist involved. But in theory... There was a, a table brought out. If there yeah. was a DQ, there, there... You know what? This is a debate for another day, but... It might be interesting uh, to see if rules I change mean, at some point. I mean, case in point, back on the very, very first Bunkmania episode when we talked to, when we were reviewing the show, <laughs> Helena Cell had the gentle, oh no, your head has lightly bonked this table through accident. Well, that's a DQ. <laughs> I, I, I think I remember I raged about that. I think I both correctly. raged about it because it's yeah. like, oh no, so it's like, this always happens in a wrestling match and now it's a DQ. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't change the rules. 
<laughs> Next up, we had the, well, it was the Young Bucks. Well, let's put it this way. It was the Dudes with Attitude, great name, versus mm. the Bullet Club in kind of a very fun, unique match because it was the Young Bucks basically returning to Bullet Club for one night only after they were involved at the peak of Bullet Club, arguably, teaming with El Fantasmo, originally also meant to be teaming with Hikuleo, but that match, did that did not happen because the Dudes with Attitude was going to be Sting, Darby Allen, Shingo Takagi, one of my favorite wrestlers, and Hiromu Takahashi, also one of my favorite wrestlers. Unfortunately, Takahashi could not travel because as he was going to board a plane, he was diagnosed with a fever. So it's oh, like, no. nope, you ain't boarding this plane, no, son. Forbidden door is, uh, the Forbidden Door Curse is back again. And that was literally the day before the show, and that was everyone on the internet just going, no, please. <laughs> Everyone's it. basically quote-tweeting going, this show is cursed. Oh. At that point, Danhausen just should have come in. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we got a six-man tag match, which opened with everyone sort of, <laughs> with everyone with the bullet, like, what was it? It was the dudes of attitudes making their entrance. It was Darby, it was Shingo, and then Sting didn't come out. It's like, and then, where is Sting? And then the bullet club comes out. The lights go out when they're on the ramp. We look to the, well, I say the sky, the ceiling, and there's Sting in the rafters. And I'm thinking, oh, is he going to do like a WCW-style entrance where he repels down? The lights yeah. go out again. They come back up and we've just got a close up on like a young buck's face or something. And then they turn around and all you just suddenly see is a flying body of Sting appearing out of the air because he was on top of the freaking entrance tunnel and did a it's dive. Like, it's like Sting, he's so good. He just stealth walks up upstage and just goes, I'm going to leap off this thing. And maybe over. It's like he's in his 60s, right, Sting? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I may be over 60, but I'm going to jump off this ramp. It's like you just. I mean, look, fully appreciating. Like this is a, probably a, a bad comparison, but it's the only one that comes to mind. When you think of all the stuff, and also I'm going to say his best wishes to him before I mention his name. When you think of all the stuff that Jeff Hardy has done throughout his entire career, mm. and all the craziness he was just willing to do, this is like Sting being in like an old school Jeff Hardy phase. And old school, by I mean younger. <laughs> Oh, you've got a point there because it's just like, oh, it's like, well, I'm 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 an older wrestler. I can't go as I used to go, but I can still do this. And it's like the fact the fact that, that Sting can just effortlessly now just get into like these matches and the matches are worked quite nicely to accommodate his skill set right now at his age is amazing. And it's it's like you kind of wish you kind of wish some of the some of the more veteran talent that have maybe ability or maybe not necessarily as as spry as they used to be maybe that's the way you really protect them in aw or even from a WWE perspective i mean mm. they, they kind of do that to the well i say they kind of do that to me with goldberg and wwe but it's not really that stance it's just basically well he just turns up he'll spear he'll jackhammer and then that's it we won't we won't go into a four 30 minute match because all know we almost paralyzed the undertaker so <laughs> So yeah, yeah, anyway. and the thing, the thing about Sting as well is he's basically just Superman at this point. It's like he's got yeah. moments of kryptonite, which are people actually beating him down. Yeah, and then he just comes back. He has like he harnesses the power of the crowd as opposed to the, the Red Sun, and Not then the power of the crow. 
not the power of the clearly the crow <laughs> okay fair all right fair i'll give you that one but it's just awesome and it's just how he basically does his equivalent of hulking up it's so good and every time he does it the crowd are just going mental and this was emphasized more when i think it was elpl phantasmo basically did like a nipple cripple on him just grabbing his nipple he just no sold it and so like, what's what the way and so what's the way you counter the fact that someone will not succumb to your nipple cripple you punch him in the nuts that's what oh. you do <laughs> This was oh, just the, really good there's, fun. There's the bit earlier where the Bucks and the the Bucks and, and Co are doing somersaults and flips in the middle of the ring, just to deliver a bloody black scratch of. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to, okay. So you need to understand the context just a bit more. One of the Young Bucks' big spots in New Japan for ages was they would basically just be dicks like this, and they would do like back a couple of like matt jackson would do a couple of back flips then do the back rake it was like a one of their regular things they do in new japan so mm. since they've been gone el phantasmo's just taken this to a new level and so the reason matt jackson looks shocked is because he's like that the heck are you doing like what when did this happen and so he saw what el phantasmo did and just basically instead of turning it up to 10 he had to turn it up to 50 and that's why he did like five or six cartwheels and everything and then did a back scratch because he was paying homage to that. It's like, it's a it's a deep cut reference. But mm. even from your perspective, it was still just ridiculously good fun. Mm. And poor Darby Allen in that headlock, it must have been painful. Oh no. It's like, oh no, I'm, stu- I'm stuck in a headlock. Oh, my back. Oh, my back. I've just had a, my back's been scratched. Why is it so painful? Back scratches are supposed to be nice. <laughs> Oh, it was such good fun, though. And so ultimately, the dudes with attitude get the win. And you could tell Shingo was having good fun as well. When Shingo Mm. had to, like, fire up and just demolish people, freaking great. So Mm. good. We need more Shingo in AEW. Please, please make this happen. Shingo is legit one of the best wrestlers out there. I was so happy when he joined New Japan. So, so happy. Next up, we got our, our singular women's championship match of the evening because, a little bit of context, New Japan Pro Wrestling doesn't have a women's division, but their parent company, Bushi Road, who are the, the card company that do like Vice Schwartz and loads of stuff like that in case you're in the anime circles of things, mm-hmm. they have got a sister promotion effectively called Stardom, which is spelt in all caps. And that is like the women's promotion who are just really good. I've not had a chance to watch a lot of it, but from what I've seen, it's phenomenal stuff. So it's not like that the New Japan audience aren't used to seeing stardom, because I think there was a match on Wrestle Kingdom the past few years, but one of them, I think I think it made it to the actual broadcast this year. But it's just women's matches just don't happen in New Japan. That's just the way it is. So this match was really, it was had a very unique focus on it, because you could argue this show, this show, sorry, this match felt very out of place on the show, but at the same time, I think it was incredibly important it was on the show as well. And I also thought it was a really good match. I really enjoyed this battle between Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm for the AEW women's title. Yeah, I, I think it was important to have a women's match on the on the card, regardless of whether or not it was just AEW v AEW, or even the, the even if with the, the light connections to, to to Japan in that sort of way. And I mm. thought this was a decent match as well. I thought it was it was for like, considering the amount of different AEW women's matches, we uh, championship matches we've had under the Brit Baker side of things, it, this was just a nice, straightforward wrestling match 
with two competitors having a wrestling match and there was no silly bollocks going on or distractions or interferences and stuff. Yeah, I liken this to effectively being a match in Japan. This Mm. was basically a battle between these two and that's really cool to see. Also interesting from a historical point of view, both of them have competed in Japan. Tony Storm Mm -hmm. was a champion in stardom for a while, was one of the top wrestlers in stardom. I want to say Thunder Rosa has competed in stardom as well, if memory serves, but she actually imminently is going over to Japan to wrestle for Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, to I believe to defend the AW Women's title, which is a Tokyo Joshi Pro is one of the companies associated with DDT, part of that relationship. So kind of Mm. a weird political thing potentially going on there, but it was nice to just see a proper, just good match like this. I I say a proper good match like this is a bad way to phrase it, but you know what I mean in that context. Yeah, I think think the way it could have really improved was... Again, and this is and this is the common thing with AEW's women division. Unfortunately, is the, try and book a bit of a stronger storyline because it just it kind of feels sometimes that things are, are quite quickly thrown together. Sometimes for these short feuds, maybe this feud continues, which will be fine, and it'll be nice to see them go go at it again. Um, but in terms of but in terms of how usually these title matches are put together, and it's kind of the same with maybe the TBS Championship as well. It's just kind of, oh, well, we need someone to face the champion. Uh, this wrestler will do for now. And just and just throw throw a random wrestler in. Um, the only thing, and I think this was noted, I think, on, on Wrestle Talk's uh, analysis of, of the event, is basically, okay, Tony Storm's been put into that really good position. She's had a good little run. She's been racking up wins, very few losses, all that sort of stuff. Um, but now that she's lost this match, does this hopefully she doesn't fall into like the Ruby Soho situation where she just kind of lingers around kind of without a direction. Mm. And if they get, if they have a direction for Tony, that's great. That's, that's what we just need. Again, it's just like, it's all, it's, you have the ingredients there. Everything's there. Just make things make sense and make things connect, I suppose. Yeah. One of the interesting things to note about this match as well was the actual conclusion to it in that Tony Storm kicked out of the fire thunder driver Mm-hmm. Which then led to Thunder Rosa using what's the what's the move uh, the, the final reckoning I think it's called Dustin Rhodes's move, which based yeah. on what Rosa has said in a post match interview, has seemingly been handed to her or like handed down to her from Dustin Rhodes like the move mm-hmm. because like mentor and whatnot. I think that was established when she won the title. So it made the way Rosa reacted though almost made me think: Is that you potentially turning heel? There was just something about the way she reacted and kind of thought, well, sod it, I'm going to use this. I don't know, that might be me, mm. me reading way too much into it, but they did shake hands at the end and I would like to see another match between these two though, because I think it'd be really good fun. Yeah. Next up, the match which was causing controversy online in numerous circles. It was for the IWGP US title, no title belt there because Juice Robinson, the former champion who did not defend the belt due to allegedly appendicitis and then was vacated the belt but has not given the belt back, still has possession of the belt, was also in the building that night, it should be said. Will Ospreay, the champion, I don't know how I said all that, uh, defended the belt against Orange Cassidy. I'm going to let you start this one because this was quite a match. (laughs) This was my match of the night, hands down. FDR comes awfully close, but my word, this is like the perfect blend of surreal comedy and serious craps because there's the whole thing of, again, Osprey looking at 
Cassidy is a joke. Like again, understandably, some some fans go, "Oh, but it's just a it's just a joke character." And it's like, well, he's not because we've seen it time and time again. in AEW, it's like, yeah, he can have a little bit of laugh. But when it comes to serious business, look at his matches. Look at the triple threat he did at Double or Nothing with Pack and Omega. Look at look at the match he had with Pack back. I think at the very first Revolution. It's mm-hmm. just it all comes to it all comes with with Orange Cassidy. He can go. He can go and he can Look perform. Look at the match with Jericho. Just yeah, to throw it out as absolutely. Well. And it's just this. This was a beautiful combination of styles. They were both. They're both high flyers. Obviously, Will Ospreay is insanely high flying than more the rest. To be honest, he's in insane. Of, what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just. It's just. Yeah, you have that. Little, you have that sort of gentle kind of tease build up of what, how far this match can go, and it's like, yeah, you still have the little fun moments, like. Orange Cassidy just very lightly doing the light kicks to the face. <laughs> Which, yeah, it was a, it was Kawada style kicks in this instance yeah, from, from Toshiaki Kawada, famous Japanese wrestler. Off off spray's face of annoyance, Solo just made that perfect. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? How dare yeah. you, uh, uh, Os- Cutter? <laughs> Osprey is. This is gonna be a really weird sentence to say, but I'm just gonna say it. Osprey mm. is fantastic at being a massive dick. And in this Fair. match, <laughs> and in this match, it worked even better than usual because he's against Orange Cassidy. But uh, it's just a really fun match. And some might say this match over-delivered, but mm. just from the get-go, pardoning the phrase, but you knew shit was on. Like, just oh, yeah. from the moment it started, you knew we're in for a fun ride here. And it was just really, really good fun. Ultimately, Osprey got the win. I want to say he won with the Stormbreaker in the end. Yeah, of not the serves. Hidden Blade, because they yeah. made a big deal about the elbow attack with the Hidden Blade, but then Cassidy kicks out for like an almighty kind of like shock and shock and awe from Yeah, because Hidden Blade, uh, admittedly, like I said, I've not seen a New Japan in a while, but very early on when he started using the Hidden Blade, that, that was it. That was the mm. move. Like, you're done. Yeah. But he still had the Stormbreaker as well, but the Hidden Blade was one and done. So him kicking out of that was probably like the equivalent of Thunder Rosa having her move kicked out of the Fire Thunder driver. But in this instance, Osprey basically went, well, sod you, orange boy. Time to freaking Stormbreaker your butt. And boy, did he. He did. But after the match... But then he he wanted to keep beating up Orange Cassidy. That wasn't good. Yeah, Aussie Open came out, (laughs) as I think did as well the rest of the United Empire, I think, in general. Yeah. And then we got some very serene music playing. And when I heard this, this little melody... I think my exact words, as I've put in my notes, pardoning language once again, was literally, holy shit. Because this was the music of Katsuyori Shibata, who, quick bit of context, I won't, won't labor the point too much, is a current is the current like head of the, the LA dojo for New Japan, but mm-hmm. was a fantastic wrestler who unfortunately suffered a very bad head injury following a match. I think it was either with Okada or Tanahashi, if memory serves. Like, p- mm. potentially life-threatening. So it was ridiculous. But he doesn't make many appearances in New Japan now, for various reasons. One of them potentially being he had an exhibition match at Wrestle Kingdom. It was meant to be kind of, all right, you can do an exhibition. There are certain parameters, like no hitting in the head. And he seemingly went into business for himself and basically went, now nah, let's do a match. And everyone was basically just like, um... Uh, what do we do? <laughs> and they just had to let it go. He's not been in the ring since. 
So him coming out here and just like throwing some some moves out was such good fun. But this also potentially teased Shibata v. Osprey because that's how you yes. would read it if you're watching it. But then, of course, the, the wonderful moment, which almost I'm sure was designed to make the internet implode, was Shibata just standing in front of Orange Cassidy. Cassidy getting his sunglasses was going to put them on his face. Instead, puts them on Shibata's face. And I've got to say, Shibata rocks those sun- sunglasses really mm. well. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a, oh. a really feel-good moment, though, because from a New Japan fan perspective in particular, seeing Shibata as part of this show was a really special moment. Nice. Next up, we had what you could call the mystery match of the evening, that being Zack Sabre Jr., who... You want to talk about people being dicks in the ring? Holy crap, was Zack on another level on this show. <laughs> he was playing up the fact he was so pissed off he was not wrestling Danielson. D- D- dick in the ring? Dick on a promo? Dick after the match? <laughs> oh, lo- so good. We'll talk about the match, but I just, I, I love how he compared his current viewpoint on, Amer- on Americans enjoying wrestling. But let's, let's, let's focus on the match first. So good. So it, he comes out, and then we're obviously thinking, right, quote-unquote, who is the mystery opponent going to be that's been handpicked by Brian Danielson, who is also, we now discovered, the latest member of the Blackpool Combat Club? There were a couple of obvious names you could think of that would fit into this mould, but there was one that seemed increasingly likely. And it was, it was the former Cesaro, Claudio Castagnoli, making his AEW debut, and man... If you want to see the definition of someone soaking in an atmosphere and a moment, this was mm. it. It was such a feel-good moment. And the part which made it stand out even more was when you suddenly looked on Twitter in hindsight and you see WWE superstars being happy. Becky mm. Lynch just outright posting a screenshot of him making his entrance. Nothing mm. else said to it. It's just, Mwah, chef's kiss, perfect moment. So he goes down to the ring. He's soaking up all this adulation. And he just immediately launches at Zack, does a freaking <laughs> flying European uppercut, hits the, I guess now former neutralizer, I don't know what it's actually called, mm. uh, now that is, and gets a near fall pin. And this was originally going to be like a technical wrestling match between Danielson and Zack. This was not that. This was basically kind of a scuffle, a fight. So there were some technical elements in there. Zack did that. But mm. Castagnoli can, can hang with him on that front. But he really just dictated as like his own match. And it was such a wonderful styles clash is how I described it. And it blended so well. Yeah, because for every technical hold that Sabre Jr. put into the match, Claudio would come back with a power move or just a very stiff European uppercut. (laughs) It's like, I don't like this European uppercut. (laughs) Yeah, I can see. I can see. It's it's a fair point to call it like it's a a fight of styles. Because basically... Yes, it's it's more it's more striking. It's more, oh, and we and there can be a bit of occasional technical technical stuff from, from Claudio. We saw it with um, Smash of Rollins at Mania uh, last year, mm-hmm. uh, which again was was quite a nice sort of again. But then no, no, they were both two stri- they were both two strikers. Well, more more Seth was a striker and, and and Cesaro was more of a was more of a power thing. I suppose mm-hmm. I don't know. But it was That's it was a it was a really. It was, a, again, another unique match on this yes. show. And that was yes. keeping... And there's an element where I did wonder how Zack Sabre Jr. as a presence would be in this match. And he was proper being... So I, I will say, 
a lot of people have said, why didn't the referee just disqualify him for some context? Zack Sabre Jr. just doesn't give a damn. Like, mm. he'll just do whatever the hell he wants. And I believe the mentality, the way I've read it, is that no one wants to see a DQ on this show. So the ref can keep going, will you freaking break the count? It's like, no. <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, I think Zach peaked in this match when well, there were two moments. I think he was lying on the apron and someone in the crowd shouted something at him. And you could just hear it on the camera, him just suddenly shouting, I'm flipping trying. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I'm trying. And then later, and then, la- then later in the match, I don't know what ha- I don't know what the context was, but I think he was standing in one of the corners in the ring, and he just shouts at someone in the crowd and just calls them the c word. <laughs> just, just he just goes, "You're a your mate." It's like, oh, all right, all right. <laughs> just like peak Britain there, you know. <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, Claudio got the win. It was a wonderful feel-good moment. And if you haven't already, watch the Road to Dynamite special because Zach is not happy at the surprise. He wanted a technical oh. match and he had some wonderful dialogue in that promo. It's like, it's it's like if you want me to describe wrestling to American audiences now or show my style of wrestling to American audiences now, it's like showing a dead dog. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. It's like showing a dead, dead dog Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> It's the freaking best. Zach is awesome. He's so it's good. Like, I don't. I, it's like I don't want to fight here anymore. If they, if you, if Daniel wants to fight, you can come and see him in Japan or some or the United Kingdom. I hate it here. Bye. Off he goes. Which I think was a nice touch because that yeah. potentially opens up the door. Not again. To having a well, like to maybe having Forbidden Door in a different country, especially because I think the New Japan president said via Tokyo Sports. He would like that uh, this event could what should happen again. I can't remember the exact quote, but there is a quote doing well, the rounds just, of him. Well, just kind of alternate yearly. So this year it's in Chicago. Next year we go to Japan. Mm. It, it's kind of it's kind of like the Ashes. It's basically one year <laughs> someone hosts it, but it's not like the Ashes. It's about kicking doors down and going. I want a wrestling match with someone in your company. I mm. bet that whoever looks after Forbidden Door must be tired of the amount of doors that have been kicked in to that this last year. Just going, I've just put the door back up. Stop kicking it down, please. It's, con- it's constantly going to home base or, you know, home depot, whatever it is it's in America. A, I, it's a, I added a nice nick of paint. It was a beautiful pearl white. And here you come, Moxley, kicking it down with wild thing, blaring out and doing your rah. And, and now it's all bloody. Com- <laughs> and it's all bloody. You covered it in blood. I'm going to have to clean it down and then go to B&Q, get another door, maybe a rich mahogany door this time round. And then maybe, why don't I just install a buzzer? If you want to come through the forbidden door, just press the buzzer so I can know that you want to come through the door and have a match with someone from another promotion. Just stop kicking the door down please stop kicking the why are you kicking the door down i've wasted so much money on doors moving on but before we get to moxley's door (laughs) uh, we had one more match prior to the main event this was what ended up being a four-way match for the Mm. iwgp world heavyweight championship jay white the champion defending and ultimately retaining against adam cole hangman page and kazushika uh, kazuchika excuse me okada this match, in my opinion, ended up being really, really good. I think it was a little bit slow to get going, but there were fun dynamics all the mm. way throughout. And then it finished very abruptly. Yes, and it was, and it just finished. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I want, if the memory serves, I think it was 
Okada went for a Rainmaker Lariat on someone. Mm. And then that was ducked. Jay White came in, hit his Blade Runner move on Okada, who then rolled out the ring. And mm. then Jay White then just rolled, like, rolled Adam Cole onto his back and pinned him. And Cole, mm. you could see, tried to kick out. But clearly something was up. And it has come out since that it looks like Adam Cole suffered a concussion in the match, which sucks. Really, really sucks if that I is what happened. It does suck. It was... I, I... It's like it's hard to see when it actually happened in this. Because sometimes when you when an injury like that happens, you you kind of have a general idea of where it definitely mm. happened. I mean, it's like we did see it, we did see a, an injury of some description, obviously with the Young Bucks and the Hardy Boys in the last pay per view. Mm-hmm. Because clearly, after Jeff got kicked in the corner, he wasn't quite with it for a bit. Um, it was, it was yeah, a very it, very it's a very visible sign something yeah. was up. Yeah. And Whereas in this, like, it wasn't obvious at all until it happened. It's like, no, no, it wasn't obvious at all. It was just basically, JY just goes, I'll just pin you, and the match is done. And I think it's only when the doctors come in, you kind of go, oh, something else has possibly happened here. But no, I yeah. think I think until until the end, it's like the match was really coming into its own. There was a nice little slow build. You had you had like your baby faces for Carter and Paige taking on the, the heels in the equation, which was Cole and Cole and White. Cursed the inevitable but signposted betrayal of Adam Cole on, <laughs> on Jay White eventually. Um, but no, I think I think the, the big takeaways from this, uh, hopefully the hopefully the concussion and the injury isn't too bad for mm-hmm. Adam Cole. Hopefully we see him again soon in the ring. Hope he's all well. Um but the, the uh, undisputed elite have been depleted right now. <laughs> pretty much. But uh but no, one of the big the big things to really take away is like how Okada is a massive star, even yep. in America. It's just he he's a very big deal. Yeah, he's huge. And it, it's I, I won't go into this too much, but when you think back, I say you think back, when he did his excursion in America, he was famously at this point, quote unquote, in TNA for a while. And he was given mm. the gimmick of Okato, which was a parody of the Green Hornet. And famously, his final segment on TNA was him being tied up and whipped by the former Elijah Burke of WWE, the Pope D'Angelo De Niro. And then he went back to Japan, had a match in the Tokyo Dome, which did not go well. He came out in the main event, after the main event, challenged Tanahashi for the IWGP title. Everyone in the world was basically going, what? And then he won the belt from Tanahashi in a freaking great match and just kept having great match after match after match and basically worked his way, quite literally as champion, to being the best. And he Mm -hmm. is such a good wrestler. He's such a good bloke in general. And that's just carried over globally. It's just such a presence and that carried over. There was this wonderful video that was shared on Twitter this past week of just a Carter just kind of, Chilling. Basically, it was kind of like I think it was a documentary of of Ricardo in a way, but it was just kind of like it's like you you just seen what he would get up to when he's not wrestling. So it's like oh, was oh, it one just... where it's like you know he 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 takes you know he goes to speak to the elderly, takes care of them, yeah, just takes care of other people, Go, you know, helps goes, out and whatnot. Goes by kawaii things. And it's like oh yeah, I like this <laughs> all this sort of stuff. It's like he's just just, just just a dude, you know, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so yeah, it's like I think I think without the 
Without the the unfortunate side effect of the injury, I think this match was probably on its way to being something really cool and something really yeah. special. And again, it was a, it was a different feel to what had come before, which is a really good thing about the show. Is basically the matches felt different. Nothing felt like a slog, like mm-hmm. Double or Nothing did. Um, but we still have one more match to go, so <laughs> let's crack on. Indeed, indeed. The main event for the interim AEW World <laughs> Heavyweight Championship was John Moxley defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi in a match that had a big fight feel to it. So mm. much so that Moxley's entrance... Now, you may not know this, because this is this is how far too on the ball I am with this stuff. Moxley's entrance was also a partial homage to his New Japan music, because mm. it had the guitar solo intro that would normally start his New Japan music, oh, yeah, when, yeah, and then went into Wild yeah. Thing. So I thought, I just thought, nice touch, nice reference there. I didn't realize that at first, but it was just like, oh, this is a nice little build up to like the the calm before the mock storm begins, and mm. especially with William Weaver going, "You ready, son? You ready to go in there and do your wild thing and your Death Rider <laughs> and your and your paradigm shift and your wacky arms?" Well, did you notice actually the way Moxley won the match, which in itself was a wonderful moment? He had the bulldog choke on Tanahashi, mm. and at that point, the crowd was sort of starting to change their tune a bit as to who exactly they wanted to win. It was pretty even throughout, but they started leaning more towards Tanahashi. And you just mm. heard the, the crowd started chanting, go ace, go ace, mm. go ace, like his theme music. And I just thought, oh, it's it's happening. <laughs> and then he then they stand up and he just turns him around, hits the Death Rider, actually called that for the first time in AEW or on an AEW event, I should say. Mm. That's, that's the elevator. It's the elevated paradigm shift. So yeah, it's not like what, like yeah. classic, which is like, obviously it was Dirty Deeds are basically just grab DDT. Yeah. It's more like, nope, we're going right up. And then I'm bringing yeah. you back down. Because that I is the Death, Death Rider. Rider. I love Death Rider as a name. And I like his, it's a perfect move name for Moxie. It as is, well, isn't it? Yeah. It works so I, well. I think I've got, I think I've got his New Japan t-shirt of Mox and on the back it says Death Rider or something. Yep. Because I really like, because when you start out in New Japan and it was just like, you just have this Mox and Death Rider. Yeah. Spoken out in Japanese, you just go, man, that's bloody cool. Yeah. Just sometimes less is more when it comes to everything. It works so well. But this match was really, really good. Somehow Moxley was bleeding tremendously. No one really knows how, but... But I think, we, well, we can come back to that if we want. But I think one of the, for me, the main takeaway of this match, and this was kind of summed up in listening, because I was in London over the weekend and I was on the train. I listened to the podcast that he recorded with his wife, Renee, talking mm-hmm. about like getting sober and whatnot. Yeah. And then also watching some of the pre-match promos and whatnot. And it really sunk to me during that, that we saw Moxley as AEW champion. He won it before a sold out crowd. And then wham, lockdowns Mm. happened. And suddenly he was the champion with no crowd there at Mm. all. And he basically didn't get a crowd as long as he was AEW champion. So now we get the opportunity to see Moxley with a crowd with him being AEW champion. And I know originally, I think I said I would be up for Tanahashi probably winning. Like the idea of it would just be really unique and cool. I was totally fine with either come the match, but it was part of me that thought, I really want to see Mox as champion with a crowd. I just really Mm. want to see that. Not just he's won the belt, he gets one show and then no more. I want to see more. 
of this. Mm. So I was very happy with how it was. And this match was just really good fun. It was a yeah. bit more of a Styles clash. Tanahashi more than held his own, considering he's been through a lot in his career, to say the least. He's done mm-hmm. a heck of a lot. It was a very unique match for a main event. I really liked it. If Tanahashi had won, would have freaking loved it because I love Tanahashi so damn good. And this mm-hmm. was a really, really satisfying main event to what was a fantastic show. Yeah, absolutely. I think in in comparison, basically in terms of the AEW shows this year, I think by far this is the best we've had so far this year. Um, and that also gets switched up the New Japan World and New Japan on that. Um, but no, in, ter- in terms of just pacing, in terms of match quality and stuff like that, this was really good. This was really good. Um, it's 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 like I I come away happy to talk. It's like when we talked about double nothing. It's like certain matches. It's like you just weren't really that invested. Whereas with these, I think because of the quality of the matches and the quality of of the in ring performances as well, it mm. just it everything just seemed to flow together. It was a very good event. It was it considering all the injuries, it was better than it had any right to be, I suppose. You're not joking, I you're not joking. No. no. So from that then, kind of final discussion point for the evening, briefly, before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. My question to you, because and I'm asking this from the perspective, I'm someone who is a New Japan fan and a long time one at that. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, like you mentioned at the top of the show, you dabbled in a little bit kind of when Moxie was doing stuff. You obviously are aware of the AEW involvement to a degree of various things. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective, has this show, if time was permitting and whatnot, and there were no barriers, as it were, has this event made you want to check out New Japan on a more regular basis? I would say probably yes. Um, I kind of, it's the... I guess for me, it's going to be down to people involved and the talent involved. Maybe I think I, I like the I like the idea of the G One Climax tournament because it's so unique. It is kind of like it's it, it's kind of, well, it's not really like a Champions League, but it is kind of like a group. I like the whole idea of a group stage, yeah. four people blocks round robin. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of like that, and that's not really been done. It, so for my knowledge in, in wrestling, in terms of the stuff that I've watched, I've never seen that done before. And I think that's really cool. So if anything, I would probably focus again on the G1 Climax, depending on who's taking part. I am aware of a few competitors in this one. I know Wheelie Ute is in it this year. Uh, let me double check. He was in the best of Super Juniors. But let me see if I can pull up the yeah, lineup I think Ute is there. I think Lance Arch is there as well. Lance Archer is definitely one of them. Let me try and pull up the lineup quickly. So we have got uh, Block A, Kazuchika Okada, Toriyano, Jeff Cobb, Lance Archer, Bad Luck mm-hmm. Fale, Tom Lawler, former New Japan Strong Champion, uh, and Jonah, well, just known as Jonah, but Jonah oh. Rock, have you want to announce it? Former uh, Bronson Reed. There you go, that's the name. Block B, yeah. Jay White, Taichi, Tamatonga, Tomohiro Ishii, I guess pending knee injury potentially, uh, mm-hmm. Sanada, Great Okan, Chase Owens, Block C, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya mm. Naito, Evil, Hiroki Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Kenta, and Aaron Hanare. I didn't realize okay. that, that, that Kenta was actually in the G1. I totally missed that. So that's really cool to see. Mm. Block D, Will Ospreay, Shingo, Juice Robinson, Yoshihashi, El Fantasmo, Yujiro Takahashi, and David Finlay. I will say now, why the bloody hell is Yujiro in it? I'm not even gonna. 
that's not Dalvin. That's for another day. <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a decent lineup, actually. I kind mm. of wish there was some more international involvement, but it's still an all right lineup. But, yeah. but in terms of AEW specifically, Lance Archer is your AEW representative in that tournament. Okay, so no really you two. My bad. Never mind. No, that's fine, but he was in the Best of Super Juniors recently. And he had was, a, he a was. A decent yeah. showing on that as well. So with that being said, everyone, if you've not gone out of your way to see Forbidden Door, go and watch it. It's a very watchable show, whether you're familiar with New Japan or not. I would also arguably say if you're not familiar with AEW, it's also a decent introduction to a variety of people in yeah. the promotion as well. Overall, it's just a very good introductory pay-per-view to both promotions and well yeah. worth going to watch. Absolutely. Definitely. And for, for a neutral wrestling fan, again, really good show. Probably a strong contender for show of the year at the moment. So go check it out. There you go. With that being said, everybody, I believe we are going to wrap up now, but thank you very much for joining us and or listening, depending how you have found our show today. Good sir, before we conclude proper, any uh, any particular housekeeping before we, um, in terms of upcoming shows and such that we should make note of? No, I think uh, we'll be, the next time we're back, we are doing Money in the Bank. Uh, now, considering we usually do two weeks between videos, we'll either do another episode like this, a fairly short one, on Wednesday to go over Money in the Bank, or alternatively, we'll do it as an audio, or maybe we might do it on, on the Sunday. Keep an eye on our, our Twitters, so Bunkazilla UK on, on Twitter, just for any updates. But in terms of a normal Bunker Mania uh, live show, we usually do it every other Wednesday, so I think the next show wouldn't be until, like, maybe the... Ooh, I think 18th, 14th? No, 13th of June would be... The 13th of July, actually. Would be the oh, next God, one. we're nearly in July. <laughs> yeah, we're almost in year two, mate. <laughs> Yeah, too. Blimey. Mm. Oh, it's been anyway. a good ride. But um, but yeah, but folks, thank you very much for, for tuning in and tell a friend you listened to us. If you enjoyed it, we would love to hear from you. As Ian mentioned, you can find us on Twitter at Bunkerzilla UK. And if you've been watching us on YouTube, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to hit that like button. And if you feel so inclined, you can hit the subscribe button on there or your audio platform of choice as well. With that being said, thank you very much for joining us once again. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, the Decadane, Mr. Ian Bolton, we have been through the Forbidden Door. It's now safely padlocked. And now we must accumulate money as we try and go to the bank to cash it in. Oh, in wonderful. Las Vegas. Oh, I was going to say, is it in Las Vegas? I couldn't remember it for a second. It is in Las now. Vegas. Oh, there you go. I was like going to strike it rich with all the money. Oh. <laughs> Folks, oh. thank you very much for tuning in. We will talk to you soon. Take care. Good night. <laughs> Enjoy the show? Discover more Bunkazilla originals at bunkazilla.co.uk. Mm-hmm.